Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. All right, good morning, everybody. All right, it's kind of hard to see over here. Like, how many are here this morning? But man, this is great. I love uh, seeing your faces and, uh, you know, half your faces and all that. But um, man, I always kind of like rainy day preaching just because... um, there's something about it to me that uh, I always feel like the people who are here on the rainy days really wanted to be here. So I love it. So thank you guys for coming. Um, if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Acts chapter two. We're actually gonna start in Acts. I know we're in this series called Restart and we're in Genesis. Um, however, I'm gonna read you guys a little passage from Acts chapter two, verses one through four, and then we're gonna go back to Genesis and look at chapter 11 today. This is Acts chapter two. It says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is the apostles of Jesus. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, that is a cool story, and there's more to it, and I'll get to it in a minute, but uh, this, is, this is when, if you guys know a little bit, you know the Gospels, if you've been around church for a little while, uh, Jesus has died, he's risen again, and he has gone back up to heaven, okay? And before he did that, he told his disciples, he told his closest followers, you guys hang out here in Jerusalem, and in a short time, the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth, right? So... They do that and they wait, and this is the story in the book of Acts chapter two. And the day of Pentecost, after, after Jesus uh, has risen back up to heaven, in the day of Pentecost, they receive the Holy Spirit and then they go out and begin to preach the gospel for the very first time. This is the beginning of the church. That's what this moment is, the very first fruits of the gospel ministry of the apostles and the church beginning in Jerusalem on that day, uh, 3,000 more people, so 3,012 Christians at the end of the first day. It's pretty cool. Um, why is this story amazing? That's the question. The story is amazing, obviously, because God does a miraculous work in them, filling them with the Holy Spirit, and then going out to them, preach the gospel to people of all languages. There were people from all over the world in Jerusalem, at least their area of the world, in Jerusalem at that time that spoke many different languages. And they wouldn't have been able to hear the gospel um, from just these Galileans because they didn't speak their languages, right? But in this moment when God fills them with the Spirit, they go out and they can speak their languages. So that is amazing. But there's a reason. There's a story in the Old Testament that actually shows us the, the kind of foundation for this amazing moment in the book of Acts. So if you guys have a Bible, go back all the way to Genesis, very first book. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen. But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 11 today. And we're going to see, uh, really, God set the stage for the day of Pentecost that he accomplishes in the gospel ministry of the apostles and now continuing in the church today. Uh, as we look at the Tower of Babel, raise your hand if you've ever read the Tower of Babel story. Uh, it's an interesting story, kind of different. 
Um, but pretty cool. So if you were here last week or if you've been here the last few weeks, we've, we've been in this series restart looking through Genesis and really the idea from us as a preaching team was just that we wanted to look through the book of Genesis and kind of find and see these stories where God in, in the beginning was already kind of setting himself up and trying to glorify himself in the world of men and how men constantly keep kind of screwing that idea up. Right? Men just keep constantly trying to pull the glory of God towards themselves and glorify themselves and not glorify him, even though he has made it clear it's about me. I created it. I started it. It is about me. And yet men always kind of want to make it about themselves. Right? Is this not what Adam and Eve did? Is this not why last week, if you were here, we talked about the flood and in Genesis 6, 5, it says, shortly after Adam and Eve, God looked at the earth and he saw that every inclination of the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil all the time. I don't know if anything's changed <laughs> since then, but now we get to chapter 11. And after Noah, after the flood, God stops the flood and he promises Noah, I'm never gonna do this again on this scale with a flood anyway, uh, fire and revelation, but I'm never gonna do this again with water. Um, and he, tell, he tells Noah this, and basically this is the commandment for his descendants. Uh, Genesis 9, 1, he says, go increase in number and fill the earth. Go now. This is, this is the command for all the people in the world to spread out and to multiply, okay? Have babies and spread over the earth, right? That's what he tells them to do. Um, so that sets the stage for us in Genesis 11. Now, chapter 11, verse one. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Have, have Pentecost in your mind, okay? The whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So let's just pause for a second. Um, let us make a name for ourselves. Yeah, you know, that's the, that's the central theme of this story. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, they say we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Basically, let's stay here. And now God has tried to spread us out. Now let's go to this one place. They found a plain in Shinar and it says that all the people were kind of there. Now I don't know if this was the entire world, if everybody was in this one place. It was at least a large population of them and they all spoke the same language. And, and one of them at least, or some of them stood up as leaders and said, hey, let's stop here. Let's not spread out. Let's build a city. So there's a city that is kind of representative of a disobedience to the command to spread out, right? And then there's a tower. Let's not only build a city, but let's build a tower to the heavens. Now, I don't know if they were saying like, let's try to like reach the heaven that God is in necessarily, but the heavens to them, the sky, outer space, so to speak. So let's go as high as we can go. Let's build it as big as we can build it, right? So that we may make a name for ourselves. And again, uh, it's easy to read the book of Genesis and think, these people are so archaic and so barbaric and whatever, but have you ever built a tower to yourself? Have you ever, because of your disobedience to God's plan for your life, maybe stayed where you weren't supposed to stay 
or went where you weren't supposed to go, either way, and in pride tried to get glory for yourself and not give it to God. Guys, this is the story of mankind. And I kind of love the story of Babel because it's all the people in one place so we kind of get a a really good snapshot into the human condition, into sinful nature because it's everybody there and what do they wanna do? Let's make a name for ourselves, not for God. He just wiped out everybody. And now just a few generations later, they're back to the same spot as Genesis 6, 5 where every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts are only evil all the time. Let's make a name for ourselves. This is evil. I don't know if you have that kind of theology in your mind and in your heart to understand like what evil is. Like, there's a lot of things that we could put the label, the label of evil on, and rightly so, but at its core, it's this. God has a name. God has glory that he wants for himself, and it is reserved for him and him alone and for no man. And yet us, in our hearts, in our minds, desire it for ourselves. And so we build towers. Verse five, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So because they wouldn't spread out, God scattered them himself, right? A couple observations here. Uh, Verse five, it says God comes down, which is just kind of funny. I think it's a little bit of a dig um, by the author. I think Moses who wrote this, a little bit of a dig at what they were actually doing, right? We're gonna build a tower to the heavens and it says God has to do what to see it? Come down. Oh, it's a good job, guys. It's cute. It's good. I mean, I like it. You know, God comes down. Man, I mean, th- is this not pride, right? Like where we just really believe in our minds that we have accomplished so much and we have done so many great things. Like, look, human beings have done some pretty impressive things, right? From the stereo to space travel to stretchy pants, right? Like human beings have made cool things. We've done great things in the world. We've accomplished a whole bunch. And yet still, no matter how high we can climb, no matter what we have achieved, guys, we're playing games. If we think we're reaching the glory of God in our little human achievements. And God does concede that it was kind of impressive, right? Like he he says that, um, you know, it's impressive what they did, but, you know, for what it is, it's nice, it's, it's a good tower. And he actually says, you know, if we let them continue in this, if we just kind of let them be what they are right now and have the same language, there's nothing that they won't accomplish in their pride. And again, he doesn't mean they're going to steal my glory necessarily. What he just simply means is they're never going to stop trying. They're never going to have anything impeding their, their will and their desire to go after my glory. They're never gonna stop and they're gonna be united as an entire human being race against my glory. And so in his punishment and mercy, he confuses their language. So he says, come down, has the conversation kind of, and he he, he confuses their language and he spreads them out. In his punishment, now I said that uh, very intentionally, in his punishment and mercy. 
Because those two things are not mutually exclusive very often in the Bible. That God punishes, he disciplines, but he also, in his mercy, he works and he does things for the good of mankind, for the good of his people. Adam and Eve, punishment and mercy. Did he kill them? No, not in the garden. He cast them out, he gave them some consequences, but he clothed them in his mercy. Cain kills his brother, punishment, but also mercy. If you read that story, no one will kill you, Cain. He puts a mark on him and sends him out, right? Jonah, punishment, fish, mercy, same fish, doesn't drown, survives to go and still do what he's called to do, right? Punishment and mercy. Yes, God does discipline and God is sovereign and he will not give his glory to another and yet because he is sovereign and because he has a purpose for this world, he in his mercy will move that forward by doing our good that will accomplish his glory. And so he confuses their language. So in other words, by confusing their language, here's what God was doing. He was ensuring that the whole world could never again be united in one global plan against his glory. Not in one global plan. That there will only be micro plans against his glory from now, from the Tower of Babel until the end of time, right? Not one global plan, just micro plans just every nation in and of itself, just every language in and of themselves, just all the people in and of themselves trying to take God's glory, trying to usurp God's throne, right? But not the whole world together. They couldn't do it now together. That was God's mercy. This is what God was doing. God will tear down what we build for our glory. Here's our word for the day. In order to rebuild something better for his glory, because God does not share the glory. Oh, but Kurt, in the end, we're gonna be glorified with Christ. Yes, his glory in us, right? Not our glory. He doesn't share it. It's not ours to have. And so we go back to Acts chapter two. And you kind of ask the question, doesn't, doesn't this kind of make it more difficult for God? If he confuses their language and spreads people out, isn't it more difficult for him to get glory through those people? Because now he has like a lot of people and a lot of languages to, to figure out, right? And the answer is, yeah, kinda. But is it, doesn't God do that? Doesn't God love to kind of stack the cards against himself? Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, right? Abraham had a child with Hagar, but, but God was like, Hagar's too young. I need an old woman because I want the glory, right? God loves to stack the cards against himself. Mary was a virgin. That's right. Like God wants the glory in every circumstance. So yes, spreading people out, confusing their languages, it makes it more difficult. And you gotta put yourself, I think I was trying as I was reading this to kind of put myself a little bit in, in Satan's shoes. Like what he's thinking about all this, right? And as people start to go, God tells them to spread out and they start to go. And Satan, obviously, because he hates mankind, he hates the glory of God and he, he's gonna put it in their hearts to, hey, y'all go to one place, go to Shinar and just build yourselves a tower and build yourselves a city. Don't spread out. And here's maybe what he was thinking. He probably thought he had God in a little bit of a catch 22, right? If, if God just lets them do what they're doing, then they're gonna be united against his glory and it's gonna be amazing. But if God comes down and stops them, he's gonna have to confuse their languages. And then it'll be impossible for God to get them all back together, right? It'll be impossible for God to get glory through the whole world. Maybe, I don't know, Satan was thinking that, but I don't know if it's healthy to try to put yourself in his mind. But anyway, I do it. So back to Acts, Acts chapter two. 
flip over a little bit. So it says this. Um, I read you guys the first few verses. Verse five. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. There's our word again, right? From Babel. A little bit of a, a parallel. The Bible was written, y'all, very intentionally. Don't ever forget that. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language, utterly amazed. Verse seven, utterly amazed, I believe is the application of Genesis 11. Utterly amazed, in bewilderment, it said, absolutely stunned at what they are seeing, at what they are hearing in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And then Peter goes on to stand up and begin to preach the gospel to all the people who are hearing. And again, I think the other apostles are doing it at the same time. But it records Peter's message and it gets to the end and people are just like, now tell us what to do, we believe. Tell us what to do. And, and Peter says, repent and be baptized. And they are. And like I said, 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the application of Genesis chapter 11. Yeah, maybe Satan thought he had some kind of victory over God in that moment that God had to spread them out and God had to confuse their languages. But don't forget, God had already told them to spread out. God had already had this plan. God never is trying to play catch up with our mistakes. He's never trying to play catch up with Satan's devices and Satan's plans. He is sovereign and God works. He works in all things for his glory and the good of his people, yes. And he continues to do this. And we see in Genesis where it just seems like, again, men have screwed everything up because we seek our own glory and our pride. God still yet comes in and tears it down to rebuild something even better. And the amazement of the people in Acts chapter two during Pentecost is the point of Genesis chapter 11. That's the point. So there is a uh, sort of a, a global application of this message and, and a personal one. So here's the global application. Here's the global application. Today, the global mission of the church continues. It started on the day of Acts, and God always had this plan that he was gonna bring together. If you read Ephesians chapter one, it says that God's plan is to bring all the universe together under one head, and his name is Jesus. Under one head, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 9. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, he starts to explain how Christ's death and his resurrection destroyed the dividing barriers that were separating men from men and women from women. And he's bringing them all together in unity in the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. 
And if you read Philippians chapter two, you'll see Paul describing the nature of who Jesus was and that Jesus went to the cross on behalf of us. And at the end of that, he says, so that every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every tongue, every tribe, every person. And the point was that because there are tongues, because there are tribes, because there are nations who will humble each other around the world at the end of the day, God gets more glory when he brings them together in the name of Jesus. And if we were all one people with one language, I don't know, maybe that would not have happened. But in any case, uh, what I think is gonna be amazing about heaven I don't know if we'll know every language in heaven. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that'll work, but I think there will be every language, lang, language in heaven singing and praising Jesus, and that will be the glorious worship for all eternity in every language. And how much better is that than just one language? You ever heard things sung? Man, I, I, got, I got the, the, this isn't part of my sermon, but man, I got the privilege one time to, go to a Navajo Indian reservation and stay for a week. And I got to go to a church service and hear amazing grace sung in Navajo. It's the most beautiful thing I've, maybe I've ever heard in the mountains of Arizona in a church about the size of this stage. It was awesome. And in heaven, God will be glorified when every language sings his glorious praise. And today, that is the mission of the church. That's the global mission of the church, that we would go to every, guys, this is what missionaries do. They go to the languages. They go to the nations to share the gospel to every tongue, every tribe, every nation. So what do we learn from Genesis 11, one through nine? It's this, two things, and this is the global application, two things. God has a global purpose to bring glory to himself through all people. And number two, he will bring down the pride of man that opposes that purpose. He will do it. Throughout the Bible, we see this over and over and over again, people being brought down who opposed the global purposes of God. At times he uses them. He uses Pharaoh for a season and he brings him down. He uses Nebuchadnezzar for a season and brings him down. So here's the personal application. What is the Bible about? The Bible is about this. The central theme of the Bible is this. God's redemption of humanity through Jesus Christ for his own glory. God's redemption of humanity through Jesus Christ for his own glory. The entire Bible is pointing us to this sentence. We're trying to show you guys that, by the way, as we walk through Genesis. You remember in the garden and, and we see God kill an innocent sacrifice to clothe Adam and Eve, right? And God forgive sins and God now spreading people out so that at Pentecost, he can bring them back together in Christ Jesus. But again, I don't want you to miss those last three words, for his glory. All of this, every story in the Bible points to this. Psalm 23.3, you guys love Psalm 23. Um, uh, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But he says this, he, he, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Ezekiel 20.44, he says that God will have mercy on Israel. Why? For his name's sake. Daniel 9.19, it says that God takes action to redeem his people. Why? for his name's sake. Even in Matthew 6, 9 and 10, the Lord's Prayer, how does Jesus start that? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come. It's like he's trying to cut down our pride even from the very beginning of our prayers. And Jesus himself, as he prayed in the garden, not my will but yours be done. And Paul again describes him in Philippians 2, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself by taking the nature of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that was Jesus who is God. And you and I who are not, we don't wanna humble ourselves to the point of death. We don't wanna humble ourselves to the point of discomfort. But here's the personal application. And this is just, I prayed about this and thought about this message a lot. Whose side is God on in the world? Whose side is God on in this universe? I see a lot of, of Christians even. I just really want to talk to Christians. A lot of Christians who have this idea that if I can just kind of build my life the right way, if I can kind of stack things up, you know, best I can according to his word and I can go to church and I say the right prayers and I kind of do the right things and generally be who he wants me to be, that maybe God will be on my side and he'll prop me up and I can kind of live my life on this pedestal, understanding and knowing that God is on my side. And God loves me and God is for me. And listen, that is true. God is for you. But here's what I really believe. And here's what I think scripture again wants to show us over and over and over God's redemption of humanity through Jesus Christ for his own glory is that as much as God is for us and as much as God is on our side, primarily God is on God's side. God is for God's glory. And in as much as we wanna live our lives like this, and now listen, this isn't just for the extroverts, okay? This is, you, you can be by yourself, you can be an introvert, you can never talk to another human being and do this with your life. You can do that, all you need is Facebook. All you need is internet access. All you need is a heart that would rather glorify you and listen to you than God. And it might be loud and it might be boisterous or it might be quiet and it might be shy but it's still self instead of God. And instead, like I said, guys, stretchy jeans. Instead, I mean, does God not call us, does Jesus not call us to lay down our lives and carry our cross? You cannot carry a cross if you're on top. The cross is on top. Christ is on top. His glory. God, church, if we could just have the heart of John the Baptist 
who in the moment that his ministry was kind of ending and being ripped away from him and his glory was clearly over and people weren't coming to him and people weren't listening to him, what did he say? He pointed at Jesus and he said, he must become greater, I must become less. My joy is full. The happiest he ever was in his life was when Jesus was getting glory. That's as happy as he could have been. Church, can we be these people? This is my prayer for us. And this is, I, I, I literally prayed this yesterday. I prayed this this morning that when people think about Eastridge, they would know our Jesus more than they know our opinions. How many opinions do we have? How many opinions do we wanna stack up and lift up? How many times in our lives do we wanna make it about us and what I think and where I'm going and what my dreams are, what my hopes are, what my goals are, and how often do we belittle the glory of God because we're too busy standing tall, building towers of selfishness with the bricks, of more, and, with the bricks and the mortar of, uh, of conceit. Self-love and self-glory. We just wanna stand I think God is just calling us to, to lift him up. It's not me. I have nothing to do with this. I have nothing to do with your greatness. God, guys, if you, wanna, if you wanna read some scripture that'll just humble you, that'll just bring you low, read Isaiah 40. Read Isaiah 40 sometime soon. I love Isaiah 40 because here's what God does in Isaiah 40. His people are idolatrous. His people are worshiping other gods and they're following other nations and they're trusting in other kingdoms and all that kind of stuff. But he doesn't really chastise them and he doesn't give them any commands. You know what he says? Behold me. That's what he says to them. Behold your God. And then he just tells them who he is in Isaiah 40. I created this. I put the stars in place. I hold the nations in my hand. Not you, Build your little towers. Build your little cities. Anybody know where the Tower of Babel is today? No, because it doesn't exist. Right? It's gone, guys. All right, I'm done. So here's what I want to do. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, I mean, just spend the rest of today journaling whatever you do. It's everything. Do it to the glory of God. Guys, if we were as serious about that verse as we were about our opinions, as we were about building our kingdoms, as we were about making our towers, as we were about posting, as we were about our political candidate, God is not for or on the side of your candidate. He is on his side, God's side. And if we cared as much about this verse as we cared about that stuff, guys, we would be in the middle of a great awakening again. So here's, here, I said it was done, okay. Here's what we're doing. I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna ask you guys to pray with me. Um, just as we end this up, and, and I don't, I, I really, I don't wanna do this for show, but I'm gonna just get on, get on my knees right here. And if you wanna get on your knees, I wanna invite you to do it as a church. Let's kind of do this in solidarity. And if not, maybe just sit and maybe just open your hands to the Lord. And I'm just gonna let us be quiet for a minute because I know I need to pray this every day. And I, I'm asking you guys to pray right now with me just that, that God would glorify himself. 
in us, through us, if need be, in spite of us. And that he would just take us and use us. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, like Paul said. And we would just stop trying to build our towers. Anyway, so let's pray. And I'll end our time up and I'll pray out loud, but let's just pray silently together. If you want to get on your knees with me, if you want to just sit in your chair and just ask the Lord to humble your heart. Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us what we need. Provide for us our daily bread and even in such a way that as you provide, we would be, remind, we would be reminded that you provide and we do not. We have no bread without you. We have no breath without you. Forgive us. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of any day that we take a breath without thanksgiving. Forgive us of any day that we make plans without consulting you. Forgive us of any moment in our lives where we set ourselves up and raise our hands to ourselves and bow our hearts to ourselves and not before you. And Lord, lead us not into temptation to continue in this. Lord, lead us in humility. Humble us, God, humble us. Humble me. I'm prideful. <laughs> I just am, and We love to have life fit our ways and our wills, but God, just help us to see, as you said in Isaiah 40, behold our God, that we would know you, and the better we know you, God, that we would submit to you, humble ourselves before you, and then God, just send us, send us out in humility and in faith and in power in your Holy Spirit to speak and to serve and to give and to love as you call us to. 
to lay down our lives. Your word says that our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, made himself nothing, a servant. So let us be servants. Let us be slaves to you. God, let our church, Eastridge and the church in this country, in the church, in this world, be a church full of self-sacrificing servants, laying ourselves down for your glory. And God, whatever towers we build, destroy them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church slash give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at East Ridge Church.